If you have a Bible, we're going to begin at Exodus chapter 15. The title of my message this morning as part of our communion time is God's Covenant of Healing. Now, many years ago, many of you were here, it was a primary and a main message in the church. Reason was it was new. We had never heard that such a thing was possible. We had all learned to be sick. We had learned to depend on drugs and the pills and the procedures of the world for healing. And God presented to us something better. It took a little while for it to sink in, but it was such a wonderful message. And as we realized in those early days that the way this works is that you begin to use your faith. You may not feel like what is promised, but you've got to believe that what is promised will become yours in manifestation. So we begin to use our faith, took a few steps of faith, walked things out as we said, kept going back and referencing what we had heard, read it again and meditate on it some more because that's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And after a while, it became reality to us. It wasn't just ink on a paper. It was something on our hearts. And it began to be a natural thing to talk about and an obvious thing to do is to trust the Lord. And along the way, there were many critics. Many of our critics were within the church walls, uh, some from other churches, family members, friends. The world has always been a critic. And the agencies of this world, which don't want you to trust God and would do their very best to prevent you from trusting God. They'll take your children away from if you trust God. But in spite of that, in spite of all of that, all the critics and all the other things that happened, we just decided that this was the way that God had for us to live. It's a new and living way. It's a better way than drugs and pills and shots and bills. It's a whole lot better than that. And so we took that as a step of faith. Not many stayed with it because along the way, the devil has really attacked the minds of people who want God to be their healer talking about how foolish you look, how foolish you sound, what are people going to think of you, you're going to lose your friends, your reputation, and what if it doesn't work, and what if you die, or what if this doesn't come to pass, and then what are you going to do, and oh my, don't do that. And then we begin to have a new theology that said God has invented all these new things and new ways and new procedures to provide healing for man. And thus, a lot of people who believe that turned away from they'd been taught back to something that they'd always held to anyway. The healing message has always been important. It has to me, and I think it should be to you because it should be our testimony. It really should be. And I don't think God has abandoned anybody that has had a moment where they went back another way or did something wrong or walked in a doctor's office or a hospital. I don't think God said, bye-bye. I don't think any such thing happened. I think we're all growing. And we're all discovering, even if we think we knew something and we realize later we didn't believe it like we should, I got to get back into that. God loves us, but his message for us is clear. It must be taught. It is seldom taught. What I'm going to say this morning is almost never taught. That doesn't make us exclusive, not at all. But I'm simply saying what I know is true. The wellness of a man's body, it's one of the biggest discussions in the world. A drug commercial the other night said this drug could kill you. It can cause cancer. If you take it with anything else, you could die or have a heart attack or a stroke. And I think, are people so desperate that they're willing to take that kind of a chance that maybe it'll work and get rid of a little pain in their fingers or their toes or their head or their nose? Is it so bad that we're willing to suffer a greater damage to our body? I think God has said he will heal us, that he's our doctor. That's his covenant. I'm the Lord that heals you, he said. People used to look at that and go, I don't know about that. But then we got into it and you know what? But I think today it's kind of drifted back. I believe that the testimony of the church today that heard this message first. It's kind of gone back to almost where they once were. That shouldn't be. I believe this. If you preach the word long enough, if you preach it with enough sincerity and honesty and integrity that somebody is going to believe it. 
somebody's going to get it. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro. Aren't they throughout the earth? Searching for those whose hearts are perfect toward him so that he can show himself strong in that person's life. Isn't that the testimony we want? Should that smile on our face not be from the confidence that came with words that I am the Lord, 8,000 promises? Shouldn't that be our testimony? Should we dread hearing anything about healing? Should we or not? 20 years ago, we taught this and everybody just, amen. Now today, you have to be careful. What's happened? I'm not here to condemn anybody, myself, you, or anybody else. Nobody's perfect. Nobody is anything more than what he is or she is. But I'm saying this, that what God has for us comes one way. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And sometimes you have to be insistent that this is the way of God for us. And let's find it out. You see, take covenant, for example. The word covenant is simply a word which means an agreement, usually a formal agreement between two or more persons to do or not to do something specific. They are conditional promises given by God to his people for their well-being. Now, they're all conditioned except the promises that God has made like to the nation of Israel. No matter what they have done, they're going to go back to that land because God cannot deny himself. God made a promise. He made a covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob that what he has determined to do with them, he's going to do it. Just like if he calls you, if you're one of God's elect, he that started a good work in you, I don't care where you think you're going, he is going to finish the work in you. You're going to make it because God has set himself to do that. That's his commitment to his people, to his land, and to whatever else he has spoken of. Because God has assigned himself the faithful party in a covenant, I think that's one of the reasons that God is referred to as faithful. He is the faithful God. He is known that way because, well, Numbers 23, you remember, you don't have to turn to it, Numbers 23, 19, God is not a man that he should lie. In other words, if God has said it, he will do it. That's what the verse said. Hath he not spoken and shall he not do it? Did he not say that he would do it and will he not do it? Hath he said and shall he not do it? That's what he is. God is a faithful God. He does not give you a promise to believe in that he cannot fulfill. Now, it may never get fulfilled in your life because you may not believe it. Somebody may talk you out of it. You may be somewhere you've never been taught some of these things, and you never knew. Like the story of the guy that bought a ticket to go to America, didn't know the meal was included with the ticket, and took a little bag of food to try to survive the trip across the ocean. Didn't know that he had a right to be in the cafeteria every day to eat the best meal. He made it to America. He wasn't put off the ship because he didn't know that he could eat at the banquet table. He was just not informed of all the truth. Well, that's true with so many people today. What God has for us, God has committed himself to the performance of it. When it's conditional, it means that if you meet the conditions that he stated, then those things will happen for you. You know, as I told you the other day, when I was in Israel, a lot of people think that God is through with Israel as his program for the end times. They call it replacement theology, that God has replaced Israel with the church, and it's no longer any commitment to Israel to do. All of that's been fulfilled. They rejected Christ, and they rejected his ways, so they're out of the picture now. It's all down to us. Well, that's foolish and unlearned and ignorant. Allow me, because God made a covenant to that nation. Go to Ezekiel chapter 20, if you will, right over in the middle to the right of your Bible, Ezekiel 20. And follow me in verse 41 through 44. Now, here's what God said to his people. He said, I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the people and gather you out of the countries wherein you have been scattered. Now, they were scattered, especially after 70 A.D. with the destruction of that big temple that Herod built. And they were scattered all over the world. You know what? 
the most amazing story in history of nations and civilizations. This was an ancient country, an ancient civilization. Jerusalem's well over 4,000 years old. And here was a people, special people, who were no people. They had no name, no nation. They were slaves in Egypt. They couldn't even be called by a country. They had no country. And God brought these people sovereignly out of Egypt by miracles and astounding wonders, none greater than those 40 years in the wilderness. And let me tell you about the wilderness. Just outside of Jerusalem is what is beginning of what is called the Judean wilderness. Now, I never had a visual on that until I was over there towards the end of the trip. One time we were just outside of Jerusalem driving south, and it was the most awful place you'd ever see. I mean, mountains and gullies and rocks and the landscape like this. It's called the Judean wilderness. And our guide, I said, boy, this is a bad place. He said, this is luxury compared to the south where they wandered. I looked on the map at the terrain, and it's hard to imagine a million people could wander through such an arid, dry, and thirsty land and make it. But God's bigger than all of that. See, he chose to do all of that just to show his magnificence and to think that not a sole of their shoes wore out, that all that walking, not a feeble one amongst them, they weren't exactly cooperative. Jewish people by history have never been a cooperative people. Even today as they are in their land, they're not religious people by any stretch. They have religious people in the land who are totally misinformed about their Messiah. They have no Savior. They have no temple, no priest, no sacrifice. And their Bible, the Torah says that without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. How do they get forgiven? They don't know. But they have devised that, you know, we're his people. We're uh, the chosen people. Maybe that makes us special, therefore entitles us to some mysterious way of being saved. And yet the only salvation that can come comes through their Messiah, who is Jesus. But in spite of that, in spite of them disqualifying themselves from any grace and mercy from God and totally undeserving, God made a commitment to the people through Abraham, I will do this. Listen to this. Ezekiel 20, verse 41, he said, I will accept you with your sweet savor when I bring you out from the people all the places where you've been scattered, and I will be sanctified in you before the heathen. God is going to so manifest himself among his people that these heathens are going to see the change that God is going to make in these people. This is going to happen. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I shall bring you in the land of Israel into the country, for the which I lifted up my hand to give it to your fathers. And there shall you remember your ways. This will be the great revival. There you shall remember your ways and all your doings wherein you have been defiled. And you shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for all your evils that you have committed. This is why we repent. This is godly sorrow that changes our life. Because if he doesn't change our life, all we can do is sit somewhere, listen to something, and wonder. We can't participate. We have no place in it. But he said, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to open your eyes to see how vile you are, how defiled you have been, and you're going to see what lost people see, and you're going to hate what you've been. Then he says in verse 44, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I have wrought with you, notice this, for my name's sake. That's why this is going to happen. Not according to your wicked ways, nor according to your corrupt things, O you house of Israel, saith the Lord. Now go to chapter 36, just not far from you there. Chapter 36, look at verse 21. But I had pity for my holy name. He's going to vindicate his name. But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel hath profaned among the heathens wherever they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the heathen wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathens, which you have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord, when I shall be sanctified before their eyes for 
I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries, and I will bring you into your land years after your country should have disappeared. There should not even be an Israel, and yet there still is an Israel, and they still have a language. And he says, I've scattered you all over the world. Six million of you are going to be persecuted. You're going to be hammered, rejected, ousted, looked down upon, and treated vilely. I'm going to separate you from the land. And all the people that have been in running the land for all those centuries, they're not going to let you even in it, except on the outskirts. But he said, I'm going to bring you back. I will bring you back because God has made a covenant with his people, and he will not be denied. Notice he said, you'll be born again. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. This is Proverbs referred to Ezekiel 14 where they're going to all be saved. He'll put his spirit within them. And verse 28, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. And I will also save you from all your uncleanness, and I will call for the corn and increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree. Boy, they are doing that right now. And the increase of the field, that's happening as I speak. And you shall receive no more reproach of famine, no more reproach of famine among the heathens. You shall remember your evil ways and your evil doings that were not good. You shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for the iniquities and for the iniquities of your abominations. Notice again, verse 32, not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord. I'm not going to do this because you deserve it, but I'm going to do it because I said I would. Because I said that I would. And let me tell you what's happening, what's going to happen. And it started now, verse 34. And the desolate land shall be tilled whereof it lay desolate in the sight of all that passed by. And they shall say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the waste and desolate and ruined cities are become fenced and are inhabited all over the land, even into the desert, the Negev desert. They are moving there. They're building houses there. They're irrigating that. And everywhere you go in the desert, there's gardens and trees. God is fulfilling this word because he made a covenant. Could I get you to go to Leviticus 26 for just a moment? We'll get to the healing thing in just a minute, okay? Let me magnify God's greatness and his faithfulness in keeping his covenant with his people. Leviticus chapter 26, verse 44. And yet for all this, when they be in the land of their enemies, that is, they're scattered, I will not cast them away. In other words, I haven't replaced them with anything. Y'all hear? God has never set aside or replaced Israel with anybody. Yet for all that, when you be in the land, I will not cast them away, neither will I abhor them to destroy them utterly and to break my what? My covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. For many centuries, it didn't look like there was any such covenant. They cried amongst themselves, if we be the chosen people, why all of this? Why are we dying like flies if we're such chosen people? What good was it? Looks like God had forgotten them. Well, we'll get to why later. But I will, verse 45, for their sakes, remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought forth out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the heathen, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. Look at verse 42, three times. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. Let me tell you all something concerning covenants. We'll get to the covenant of healing in just a moment. Concerning covenants, when God makes a covenant, he can swear by no greater than himself, Romans 3, Hebrews 6. God just says, listen, by two immutable things, which is impossible for God to lie in Hebrews 6, God made a statement. The two immutable, unchanging things about God are he who he is and his word. His word never changes. It cannot lie. And he made a statement, and that statement becomes a fact. And a fact is a truth, an unchanging truth. 
And I could say, in fact, God will, in the end, restore Israel just like he had promised to do it, not because the people that he brought back were spiritual or deserving. They're not. A nation is not deserving. They're not deserving, but they will be saved. But in the meantime, God's keeping his end of the deal. Now, folks, concerning God's faithfulness, the faithful God, as he has called several times, what he has promised to us in this room, in that book you're holding. He said, I will watch over that word to perform it. And the only thing that can keep it from not working is your unbelief. Amen. The fact that you do not believe it or not sure of it or you hold back from it, that's the only thing that would keep that from happening. Because God, when he said something in his word of what he's going to do, he watches over that word to perform it. God is faithful. Christians seem to think that because they read a promise in the Bible, or they read things in the Bible about what God has promised to do. They read these things and they wonder why it's not working. Christians just like the Jews. Well, I go to church every week. I give and I help and I do and I pray. I'm not getting healed. I'm not any better. I'm still, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they never make the connection from the fact that God who promised you all these wonderful things that he will do has also put conditions on those promises. Now, his national promise to Israel was unconditioned. It didn't matter. Possession of the land was conditional. The ownership has never been a question. That's God's land. It belongs to Jewish people. He's bringing them back. They will never be removed nor destroyed. Never, ever, never. I don't care what weapon that is formed against them, today it will not prosper. Because God cannot lie. If he said this is what he's going to do, I just read you some things, that's what he's going to do. Now, with that in mind, I think God is so faithful that what he said centuries ago, in ancient times, the promise he made way yonder, back in Abraham's day, to a people that weren't even a people. They were nobody. The magnificence of that promise, he said, you will be like the sand of the sea. They rejected all of this. When Christ came, they rejected him. But the, when they rejected him, God said, well, I'm going to go to the Gentiles in for a while. And here we are. We've been grafted into the richness of this olive tree in the book of Romans 11. And we are partakers of the fatness of what was offered them. But he said, don't you think that you're better than they are in Romans 11? He said, you stand only by faith. They fail by unbelief, and you will too if you don't believe. Now, if you're coming in as glorious, what's the restoration of them going to be? Super glorious. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Salvation is of the Jews. But God is faithful. All these things are going to happen in this world. Everything is going to come about just like God said because God is not only able to do it, but if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. That includes the healing of your body, the prosperity of your souls and your lives. Every promise has God's assurance behind it. Now, Exodus 15, God's covenant of healing. Realizing that God is so faithful that he cannot lie, that he cannot change his mind, that if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. We come to the end of Exodus 15, verse 26. And said, if you will diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to all his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon you which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, is he or not? Here's a verse in the Bible that says God has established himself with a special name. Names are indicators of character in people. Oftentimes, children got names to describe something they either hope they would be, fathers hope they would be, or a name that described them as something else. You know, running bear or whatever. 
Mighty Rock, whatever the name would be for Mighty Rock. In this case, he said, my name is Yahweh Rofika or Rafal. There's several different spellings of it. The name of God is so sacred that religious Jews would not even pronounce it. In ancient times, it was just Y-H-W-H or Y-H-V-H, and you can't pronounce that. Later on in the 15th or 16th century, the scholars began to add vowels to it, and they came up with Yehovah or Jehovah. Others would just say, no, it's the more accurate way would be Yahweh. So I'm just going to call him God, okay? The ones in Israel who do speak of God in the English God, when they write you something, they leave the O out. They just G blank D because they don't want to even write his name. It's too sacred that we're not worthy of such a name to be spoken. And uh, we acknowledge it, but it's too far above us to speak it. So I will go ahead and say that his name is God. He said, I am the Lord that heals you. And by this covenant name, know that this is one of the things that I will do specially for you. I will be your doctor. You just came out of a land of disease. You just saw all the many diseases and plagues and the illnesses and sicknesses that the Egyptians had with all of their ancient medical beginnings. You know, the Greeks and the Egyptians kind of were the grassroots of the medical profession. You just saw how sick the nation was. He said, none of those diseases that they had will come upon you, for I'm the Lord, your physician. Rufika, Rafal, I am the Lord, your physician. I'm your doctor. In other words, you don't need a doctor anymore. I am he. You're looking at one. He said, you can't see me, but I am the one who is speaking. I am your doctor. Let me ask you something. If he said that all those many years ago in the book of Exodus, could it still be true today? Well, it didn't come to us through the Mosaic Covenant. Because there was no hope in that covenant. It was just a law, a regulation of life and religion and so forth. What we got through the Abrahamic covenant was to Abraham and to his seed. Not seeds as of many, but seed as of one, that is Christ. That in Christ we live and move and have our being, and all the promises are in Christ, yes and amen. So think of it. Many years ago, long time ago, longer than we could remember, God made these promises to Abraham. And he said, concerning all these promises, he said, to your seed after you, I will be the Lord that heals you. I'll be your doctor. Could he still be that? See, everybody in the church will agree with it. Is there anything God can't do? Well, no, he could do anything. Well, that's wonderful because you got to start there. Because that's the way he wanted himself to be known. I'm the Lord that heals you. He even proved it in the wilderness. And again, I would be out of my range at using the words I could use to describe the wilderness of Judea and Paran, the desert and the south. It is a really vile place. And yet, there wasn't a feeble one among them. Think of all this. The old people that were there, the young folks, the kids, they had to wander for 40 years until those 20 and over died. So for 40 years, they were just going in the desert, and there wasn't a feeble one amongst them. How did they die then? I don't know. I wasn't there. I can't tell you. Doesn't say. The shoes on their feet never wore out. What kind of God are we serving this morning? Is he able to do this today? Is he still a God who has made such a covenant of healing, specific healing for us? Is he willing to do all of that for us? He said he would. Look at verse 25. He had a little bit of emphasis to this covenant of healing. It says, there he made for them a statute and an ordinance. Does your Bible say that? Well, a statute and an ordinance is not just a passing word that he gave them. It's not a suggestion. It would not be a good thing for you to try to do if you think you can it was called a statute and an ordinance. It's also translated law in Psalm 108. The word ordinance simply means a decree, maybe a mandate. Again, it is not a suggestion. God in his one of your more sober moments said, 
listen to me, all of you that are so well acquainted with sickness, like the end times that we're in now, this is one of the sickest ages in history of all time. One of the most sick, drug-infested ages of all times. Probably more fear and apprehension today. They got drugs for that too. About sickness than any other thing in the world. Just sickness. The cost of health insurance. The whether or not you can make it. And what if this happens and how would you make it? And oh, we can't afford insurance, but I can't afford to be sick. Oh, and yet God has said, I have made a provision for you specifically so that that doesn't have to be in your thinking. I'm your doctor. I'm the Lord that heals. Well, is he or not? There was a time everybody would say amen. Now it's so quiet. It's so quiet now. I don't know specifically what quiet means. I have an opinion. But is this message still in the Bible? Is it still there? Does it still belong to us specifically? Of course it does. Does it still say by his stripes we are healed? By his stripes I am healed. Hallelujah. In God's word it's revealed. Hallelujah. How he did it all for me on the cross of Calvary so that now I can be free. Hallelujah. I'd like to be free, wouldn't you? When they start talking about sickness and disease and all these drugs that kill you, just to be able to hit either the mute, the change, or the off button. I not only do not want to hear that, I do not need to hear that. That is not what God has offered me. That is not an alternative to God. Amen? He said, I'm the Lord that heals you. Why should we draw back and say, uh, uh, don't do that? Yeah, I messed up. Okay, you mess. So, is God still around? Yeah, well, then get up and let's go. Just don't draw back and then give up. Don't do that. When he said, by his stripes, in Isaiah 53 and verse 5, when he said, by his stripes, I am healed, two or three things were said there. One, it says this, that healing comes from God. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Remember that? I am the Lord that healeth thee. Who healeth thee? Is he not the healer? All right. A second thing he said here was that healing is for us. I'm the Lord that healeth thee. Not only does God initiate the healing, man didn't ask for this. God gave it without man asking. He said, I am your doctor. I am your healer. That's what the name Raphael means, curer. I am your healer, your physician, your curer, and I am giving this to you. You call upon me to do this, and, and I will do it. And secondly, it's already done. It's not something you have to ask him to do. He has already provided it. And when Christians pray, oh, God, do something quick, what if God said, I already have? I already have. Have you heard of Jesus? How many of you have heard of Jesus? One of the things that said that Jesus did is that he took your pains and your sicknesses up on his own body. On your behalf, he bore that for you. He's the one who heals us. Matthew chapter 8 and verse 16. You've read it before. Read it one more time. Matthew 8. In verse 16, when evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils. Those are demons. And he cast out these demons, which are called spirits, with his word, and healed most of those that were sick. That's not what they teach today. They say today that he could, that he is able, that he has, but that today he might not, because God has given you something else besides just having to badger God to heal you. Well, you don't badger God in the first place. You ask. And he said, by his stripes, you were healed. And he said in Matthew 8, 16, what he said in fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. 
himself bore our diseases and carried our pains, and by his stripes we're healed. And so many people say, well, that has to do with sickness of the soul. And there is such a thing in the Bible as sickness of the soul, that sometimes disease is, is referred to as a sick. Your heart is sick. The whole man is sick, which is referring to the man is lame and impotent before God is turned away from God. But right here, it doesn't mean that. It means what it says. He bore your diseases, physical ailments. And he carried your pains, the things that we dread so much and the things that we do our best to get out of. We can't stand certain pains for even an hour. We just can't endure it. But the Bible said Jesus bore it. Well, then if he bore it away, why am I still having it? Well, one of two things. You're either being tested or chastened. Or you're not believing. Don't you love to hear that? You're fussing at me, preacher. No, I'm not. I'm trying to tell you the truth. The truth is a fact. The fact is that by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. In fact, we're told in Psalm 103, he said, we're not to forget all of his benefits. Is this one of them? It's a covenant. God made a covenant. He made a statute and an ordinance, and he said, For I am the Lord that healeth thee. Period. Those are covenant name. He is Elyon, the high and lifted up on a special name of who he is. He is our peace. He is our shalom. Ezekiel talks about he is our righteousness, our Sidkenu. He is our righteousness. He is our Roi. ROI, our shepherd. These are names that God gave his people. See God like this. He's our leader. Nobody can stop him. When he leads us to a place, we will get there. If he said we're going to be the kind of people we are, we are going to be those kind of people. If he said he's our doctor and there's no disease he cannot heal, then there is nothing he cannot fix. See that. That's not intended to put anybody down. It's the truth. I personally am bothered. I, the trend of the last 15 years is the last, I'd say, 15 years that we've gotten away from this. No matter how much you teach on it, you seem to be getting away from it. Why? How many of you believe the world has something better than God? The world doesn't have anything better than this. The world would love to talk you out of this, and they do. They try to. They do their very, very best. God said this about him. You said, you serve me the way I tell you to, and I'll do something special for each one of your homes. Let me tell you what he'll do for each home in this church and out there. Exodus again. Would you go back to Exodus? Look at 23. All the way back to the front. Exodus 23 and verse 25. And you shall serve the Lord your God, Shelbyville Christian Assembly. And you shall serve the Lord your God. Not this church, not a preacher, not you shall serve the Lord your God. And he will bless your bread and your water. And what does he say? Let this be true for us. And I will take away what? He didn't say all sickness. How much sickness did he say? No, he didn't mean all. You know that. How much sickness did he say he'd take away? Why do you keep saying all? He, you know he's not going to take away all of it. You've got to leave some to keep us humble. So how much does he take away? All. You know what? I believe that. I heard that one. <laughs> is this possible? Then why is it not seen? I will take away all sickness from the midst of you. What if I told you I pray that for our church? What if I told you that? Let's play like that's true. Should I draw back and say, well, no. If you pray and you believe and you base your prayer on a promise that God has made, then you have a basis for receiving from God. All sickness from the midst of thee. What is the midst of thee? Do I have to stand in the middle of the church? Or is he, it's a word meaning all of us. 
I will take away all sickness from the midst of you. It's like 91st Psalm, no evil shall befall you. No plague will come near your dwelling. Deuteronomy 7, 15, he says that he would give us healing and health. No sickness. Sickness doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. Disease and all these infirmities, they don't belong to us. They are not ours. God never gave that to us. That is not what our theology is based on. We've been delivered. It's done. Now, why then, back if you're close enough to where we started, Exodus 15, why then, as I go back to that, why then do we not see more well, unsick, healed, healthy people? Has God changed his mind? No, he cannot change his mind. If he has said it, he'll do it. If he has spoken, he'll make it good. Psalmist said, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in, in heaven. Malachi 3, 6, he said, I am the Lord, I change not. If he spoke it, he'll do it. Then why isn't it working? We asked that in the beginning. Why isn't it working? Well, back again to verse 26. What does verse 26 begin with saying? If... You see the word if? Shelbyville Christian Assembly, if. If. Now it's up to you. He said what he said. That's his end of the covenant. The covenant is between two parties. We're the other party. God cannot lie. He cannot change his mind. We seem to be different from that. But, he said, if you will diligently... Hearken. Four things here, folks. Diligently hearken. You can't hearken if you're not here. You can't hearken if you're busy with everything else in your life. You can't pay attention to what you don't have time for. This has got to be important to us. If you will diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, that's that inner voice. If you are willing to do what is right in his sight, that's what he shows you to do. And again, if you will give ear to his commandments... And again, if you will keep all of his statutes, he said, I will put none of these diseases on you that are put on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord, your doctor. He can't change that. This is never going to change. This, what I just read in Exodus 15, 26, is forever settled in heaven. The world may pass away and the ways of man may pass away. This word will abide forever. It will. And one of the things that he said about us being well is conditional. And it's as simple as this. Will you hear and will you do? They're both choices. As simple as that. How simple can it be? Are you willing to listen to what God is saying or are you too busy? Are you willing to listen to what God has to say or do you have too many other things that require your time and attention. Are you willing to listen to what God says or have you gotten bored with it because of so many other things in your life? I've been here long enough. I've watched all your children grow up too, mine and yours. I do have a little bit of an insight now, much better than I had 30 years ago. I just know that things can creep in. Things can change because people change. And yet when you see a change coming into people's lives and their children growing up and doing well or the business is doing well or something comes in and, and when you see some things doing well but spiritually not so well, it's not good. But God isn't changed by that. If he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. While you're sitting there, I'm going to read one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible. I'm going to just read you a part of it. Listen at this, which goes along with Exodus 15 that we just read. It shall come to pass, God said, it shall come to pass. It's going to happen. Are you here? It shall come to pass. This is what you can expect to happen. If you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe, to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon thee and overtake thee. Why aren't they overtaking us? Hearing and doing. 
I'm going to be on God's side today and lose all of you as my friends, but I'm going to say this. God cannot lie. If he said he'll do it, he'll do it. If he said this is the way it's done, then this is the way it's going to be done. Amen. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. That's Deuteronomy 28 and verse 1 that I just read. Same book of Deuteronomy in chapter 12. And verse 28 says that if you will hear and do all these words which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you forever. 1228. Your children are included now. God puts it. Is this possible? You got to diligently listen. You've got to make whatever adjustments you have to make. If God said, this is the way, you heard it. And if he said, this is the way you got to live, you can't say, well, I ain't ready for that. You can't do that. You make the adjustment to do that, and you pay whatever price you got to pay to do it his way. That's the only way it works. Because if you know the truth and you won't do the truth, for you it's sin. Sin is what got Israel in trouble and scattered them for 2,000 years. Sin. The most awful punishments of a nation or a class or a civilization of people in all of history. Sin. Oh, how lightly we regard sin. Oh, sin, you know, everybody sins. Who has a definition of sin? Paul spoke the other morning about having definitions. What's the definition of sin? What's the definition of immorality? What's the definition of uncleanness? What's the definition of these things? We obviously, I'm saying we editorially, not you, but as a society, we obviously don't have any definitions of it because if we do, it doesn't mean anything. The TV has showed us how to live and, and how to exist in the way we ought to do. It'd be so hard today to find a young lady who is a virgin it would be almost impossible. It's not impossible. There's, it's such a reckless and wild society, like animals that breed. They just come and go. It's just like the church somewhere and trying to get them to come to church and make them happy and give them some fun things to do has left out the most important ingredient in their life, and that's the Word of God because that's where conviction comes in. That's where repentance comes in. That's how you change. We're so afraid we're going to offend people with this word. How many of you know that if we're going to be offended by the word, there's something wrong with us? Talking to a man this week, briefly, and he said, you know what a good sermon title would be? What? He said, can you handle the truth? Because I knew I was going to talk about this, and I thought, oh, yeah, they can handle this. It's no problem. Then I think of how quiet it got a while ago, and I thought, maybe, maybe they just don't, maybe there's a certain kind of offense taken that you're preaching on what God said this morning. Maybe while we know God is true, we just don't like to be reminded that we haven't done well with it. Maybe we can't handle the truth. Maybe we're offended by the truth. If you had a bad attitude, and your friend came up to you and said, you know, you have a bad attitude. Assuming that you did not get into a fight and start cussing, if you were one of those type, did your friend tell you the truth? Then why are you so offended by the truth? It's just like, how can God's people be made free? How can God's people be set free from whatever's binding them? Only one way, truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? It'll make you free. Unless when you hear it, you say, well, he'll be done in a minute. We'll get the communion done. We'll be out of here. How long has it been? Ooh. Truth. God's going to hold us all accountable. I know he's going to hold me accountable because he said, you're going to have to give an account for all the things you've said. A man told me that once. He said, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. You preachers have to give an account for everything you've said. I said, well, I don't know if I'd want to be in yours either. Because you're going to have to give an account for what you've heard. We're both in the same boat. 
But the fact of the matter is, God has a plan and a way, a covenant of all things, a covenant, a statute and an ordinance, not a suggestion. We don't vote on this, but he said, this is what I want from you. Let's call it a mandate. This is the way it's supposed to be. This is what I require from you. I am now the one you trusted. I am now your doctor. I am your physician. I am, I am, and I am. But the reason they haven't done well, they haven't done well because they didn't hear and do. Turn to Deuteronomy. Go to chapter 7. Deuteronomy 7. And follow me just for a moment. Verse 12. Wherefore, it shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments, to keep them. And to do them. Now, that's what we've been saying in the last, the other two verses. It'll come to pass if Shelbyville in the year 2012, if you will hearken to these judgments and you're willing to keep them and do them, that the Lord your God shall keep unto thee what? The covenant and what else? Mercy. Mercy is that attribute of God which is characterized by relieving you from judgment or a lot of things. He had mercy on you. It comes through grace. Grace and mercy go together. Mercy is administered by grace. But here's the deal. He said, chapter 7, if you will hearken and you will keep and do the covenant, the Lord thy God shall keep unto you here in Shelbyville Christian Assembly the covenant and the mercy which he swore unto your fathers. Verse 13, and he will love you, and he will bless you, and he will multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, your corn and your wine, or your oil, the increase of your kind or your sheep, the flocks of thy sheep in the land which he sware unto thy fathers to give thee, and thou shalt be blessed above all people. And there shall not be a male or a female barren among you or among your cattle. Now, I don't know if you want that or not. I suspect you do. So be it. God help us. Let this be what he is going to do for us and have for us. Because, you see, there is a curse on a civilization of people today. There is a curse on generations. Curse. C-U-R-S-E. A curse on people for one reason, various reasons, but in the spiritual sense, in the Christian sense, there's a curse on God's people because of disobedience. You remember Deuteronomy 28, don't you? All those first 15 verses, he said, it shall come to pass. You remember that? We just read it. If you will diligently hearken and, and those things. And then in Deuteronomy 28, go down to verse 15. But it shall come to pass... If you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, or if you're unwilling to do what he said, which has commanded you. Now you read it for yourself at the end of verse 15 that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Does your Bible say that? Okay, listen to me, all of you. I'm not going to say thus saith the Lord, but I'm going to tell you something. If we're willing to listen and hear what the Bible has and all these wonderful promises, but we go out that door home and we talk ourselves out of actually doing these kind of things, then he said the only thing you can expect to happen is less than being blessed. You'd be like the Israelites were in Jeremiah talked to them in chapter 5 about rejected silver. Well, they looked like silver, but they were rejected silver. They go to church, they do all these kind of things, they get by, they're nice people, but there's more than that. There's more than that. Some things, verse 27, will not be healed. Think of that. This is part of the curse. This is part of the curse. Verse 27, he said, the Lord will smite thee with the botch. Those are like boils and weeping, oozing sores and nasty things like that, the botch of Egypt, and with emeralds, <laughs> tumors, and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst not be healed. Is there such a thing as an incurable ailment? Hello? Why does it happen? Because of a 
Say curse. Hard to say, isn't it? Look at verse 35. It'd be just as hard to say it there too, though. Verse 35, the Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed from the sole of thy foot unto the top of thy head. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to my children. I don't want that to happen to my enemies. What an agonizing, awful way for a man to have to try to live and adjust all of his time in his life to trying to live with that. I don't want that. I want God to remove all sickness from the midst of us and all anything that's not right. But there are reasons that we're not healed. What about tattoos? Is there anything wrong with having tattoos? No, I'm serious. Could a tattoo be a reason we'd be rejected or be set aside or not do well? What's wrong with a tattoo? I mean, who doesn't? I mean, people today are painted. They're engraved more than painted because they can't get rid of that stuff. Now they're engraving their face. Didn't help them. They're engraving their faces, and they got jungles on their back, their legs, arms. I saw a tattoo recently at a little place we eat dinner after church. You know, it was too low to put a tattoo there. The Bible said in Leviticus 19, as a matter of fact, you're not to make any marks on your body. Well, all the kids, I don't care if all the world is doing it. If you're a Christian, you don't do that. What about your companions? Could your companions be a reason that we're not doing well? Companions. What if the people you run around with talk you out of what you believe? Or what if you set aside what you believe because you don't want to offend these particular companions? Your kids at school that aren't Christian or they're, you know, they're cool, but they're crazy. And if they knew you really believe what you've been hearing you should believe, they wouldn't have you around them. So you're willing to set that aside in order to have those friends. No wonder God rejects people. He told a king one time, he said, the Lord is with you while you be with him. But if you reject him, he will reject you. That's fair. What about occult things in our homes? Horoscopes. Go into the fair, get your palm read or your fortune told or play with that little black eight ball that's supposed to give you an answer to the questions you have. Do you not know that's occult? That's seeking answer from a source other than God. And people say, oh, come on. Now, see, that's why people do it. Because they say, oh, come on. See, oh, come on means it's okay to do it. Oh, come on means that couldn't be like that. But it is. I mean, there's a lot of reasons that people are not doing well. Deuteronomy 7, 26 says, Neither shalt thou bring an abomination to thy house, lest thou be a cursed thing like it. But you shall utterly detest it, and thou shalt utterly abhor it, for it is a cursed thing. The beach towel with the zodiac on it. I remember that story. Came back from Florida, had the big towel. Child became unruly. One day the mother found this thing, found this towel, burned it. Took the child through deliverance, and everything went back to normal. It's cursed. There's a devil behind it. It leads you away from your trust in God for the future and for tomorrow. I could say this. You could go to a liberal church and find yourself in a curse. We're even warned about such things. If they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it from such... Turn away. Do you think God turns away from them? If he told you to, what do you think he does? If they have a form of godliness, holy. If they have all the right form and the ritual and the routine, they got it down pat, but they deny the power of it. They turn away from the power that is involved in all of this. He says for you, turn away from them. He tells you to turn away from him. What do you think he does? Go to Jeremiah. It got so bad because this book is all about what's going to happen to the people. Chapter 7 and verse 9. This is describing far too many Christians today. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery and swear falsely? 
and burn incense to Baal and walk after other gods whom you know not and then come to me in this house, go to church? And then you say, well, we're okay. It's okay to do all that. I mean, after all, God isn't going to hold all that against us. Verse 11, is this house which is called by my name become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I have seen it, saith the Lord. Verse 13, and now because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you rising up early and speaking, but you heard me, and I called, but you would not answer me. Verse 16, therefore, he said, don't pray for these people. Can you imagine? These are God's people, chosen people, but not all of them, Romans said, were elect. They were the elect nation, but not all of them were elect because many of them died. And he says here, don't pray for these people. Neither lift up or cry or pray for them. Neither make intercession to me, for I will not hear thee. Does your Bible say that? That's pretty tough. Look at verse 24. But they hearken not, nor inclined their ear, walked in the counsel and the imagination of their evil hearts. They went backwards and not forward. And what happened to them? Verse 28, this is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Truth is perished and is cut off from their mouth. That should not be, brothers and sisters. It should not be. Chapter 11, it should not be. God help us. Chapter 11 and verse 3, and say unto them, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant, which I commanded your fathers after them. I said, obey my voice, and according to all that I've commanded you, and you shall be my people, I'll be your God. Notice verse 5, when you are and you do that, he said that I may perform all these things that I have sworn unto you to give you and to bless you and milk and honey. So I will bless you. All I want you to do is do what I said. And if you won't do it my way, but you got your own way of doing things, then you're asking for a curse. Heaven like brass. Have a form of religion. That's about all you can have because God doesn't do anything. It's dead in a hammer. I'm going to close at chapter 30 of Jeremiah and verse 15. There's so much more in this book, but it's time to go. Verse 15. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity. Because thy sins were increased, I have done these things unto thee. In a nutshell, that is the reason why the nation of Israel has gone through all it's gone through for centuries. In a nutshell, that's the reason why we grafted into the same tree, partaking of the same root they did. It's the same reason why we don't do well. Sin. Sin. Transgression against God. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? What does sin do? It opens the door. How do you get rid of sin? Repent. Live conscious of the fact that, that God is there with you, standing with you, listening to every conversation you have, knows the motivation of all your thoughts and all the things in your heart. It's God. And you live with fear and trembling in his presence. Nothing wrong with fear and trembling. The Bible says we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we have to get serious. In this hour, I'm telling you something. I'm no prophet. But we're living in that time and that age in which the consummation of all things is coming. I can see what is happening in Israel just with history. Historically. He has brought them back. He has established them. The desert is beginning to bloom. They don't deserve any of it. They're going to get hammered yet when they start crying, peace, peace, because somebody's going to introduce peace. And then all of a sudden, they're going to get hammered. And then God will come to the rescue. Jesus will. And they'll all be saved. All that's left. We're living in a time in which it's time for us to start adding up and counting our own costs, <laughs> taking stock of our own selves. 
I can say this to you today. For 40 years now, we've been well in our family. We've had our skirmishes, but God has always been sufficient. Not because I have deserved it, not because I have earned it or was good enough. I think it's because God has graciously opened my eyes to see what I've just said and given me, by his grace, a thing called faith to trust him. Every trial is like a new one. You never get used to it. But God's mercies are new every morning. Amen. Jesus said, why could we not heal the man, Lord? He said, because of your unbelief. If I'm standing here this morning and I am plagued with unbelief in some area of my life, God deliver me from being offended at what was said, but God give me a heart to deal with it. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to minister to us the truth that you said will make us free. I desire, O oh God, that all sickness, impairments, any kind of a physical anything would be removed from this congregation, that you would effect deliverance and healing for everybody. From the top of our heads to the soles of our feet, may grace and mercy visit us to encourage us to listen and do what you said because you said on the basis of that, to hear and do, you will do all that you said. As we approach this communion table this morning, we're thankful for what Jesus did. For he bore our pains and carried our diseases and by his stripes we're healed. And by his blood, our sins have been washed away. We've been cleansed. Give us that as a wonderful thought to dwell on now as we partake of this communion in Jesus' name. Amen.